I was born in a small mill town called Canton, North Carolina. Now, actually, I wasn't born in Canton. Canton was so small, we had to drive to Waynesville, not Wayne's World, Waynesville, where they had a hospital to be born. So I was born there. We lived in Canton for five years, and then we moved to Taylor's, South Carolina, which is outside of Greenville. I think BMW is there now. They weren't there then, trust me. And we lived there for three years, and then we moved again when I was in third grade to the capital of the state, Columbia, South Carolina. So I, I moved, you know, a lot. I mean, I wasn't a military brat, but that's still a lot, you know, by the time I was 15. And then finally, in 1978, we got approved immigration and we moved to the greatest country in the world, Texas. And I'm, I'm thankful, thankful to be here. But when we moved to Columbia, uh, we, we rented this house and we wanted to, to build a home. And so the place where we were building was about 12 miles from the church where my dad served at the time. And so uh, it was going to be in a nice neighborhood and uh, just kind of out in the country and a lot of woods and trees and pine trees and stuff like that. And so we had spent like a year building the house and Everything was up and framed and the windows were in and we we're about to put in carpet. Now I know, you know hardwood floors is kind of thing now, but in the 70s, it was all about carpet. Listen, young folks, it was so much about carpet in the 70s that we had a kitchen with carpet in it. I know it sounds nuts. And we had phone, remember the phones with the long cords? They were about 20 feet long. You could talk to people all around the house. Anyway, it's a whole nother sermon. But we're building this house, right? And, and my brother and I, Ed, are fired up. This is BC before Cliff. And we're so fired up, ready to move in. And we're just stoked until we're at home one night, phone rang, and they said, hey, there, there's a fire out here in this neighborhood where you're building your house. You may want to come out. Might be your house. No way, right? My, my brother and my dad drive out there. I stayed with my mom. She was pregnant. And so uh, sure enough, they get out there and the house is burning down. Our house we're about to move into. So it burns the house literally to the ground. We had this big fireplace in that home. We thought it was going to be so cool, right? The only thing that's left was the fireplace in the chimney. It looked like the Washington Monument, okay? That was it. It was ashes. It was gone. So, you know, we were just, man, just really upset. I can remember just being so angry and mad and we burned down our house and all that. And so, um, you know, they were surveying the damage the next day and they were looking around and the builder looks at the foundations and says, you know, um, Edwin, that's my dad's real name. You know, Edwin, we may have to dig up the foundations and start over again if you want to build this house. So I'll tell you what we did later on in the message. But that was a bad experience. And, and I remember being so frustrated and so angry because all this anticipation and then boom, it's literally burned to the ground, right? But I thought about building as we're looking at today at the message. And I thought about how... All of us are in the building business. I don't care whether you're at school or at work or at home. We're all building something. 
okay? And most importantly, all of us are building a life. We're building a life. You're building your life. I'm building my life. And as we come together in a community called church, we're trying to build a life together. So here's what I'm convinced of, okay? I'm convinced that God desires that you build a life, that we build a life that matters, that matters, that counts, okay? So how do you do that? What does that look like? That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, next week, we're going to talk about online haters and judgmentalism and people who judge. You're that. That's next week. Today, how to build a life that matters. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be a verse right there, right under me on the screen. And you can follow along there. Paul is writing to a group of folks in a town, a city called Corinth. Now, Corinth was so much like Houston, we don't have time to go there, but it was an international city, a cosmopolitan city. Uh, this was a church that he had planted there, and he's laying out right now some truth, dropping some bombs on him. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 3.10. By the grace God has given me, I, this guy named Paul, laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one of you should be, um, each one of you should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So what he's saying here is, he said, listen, I founded this church in Corinth. Paul went there, founded the church. I think he stayed there for about 18 months. He founded it literally, and he founded it on a foundation. He laid those foundations on Jesus Christ. That was the foundation of Paul's life as an individual, as a human being, and that was the foundation of his church and the church is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. So he founded the church, then he made the foundation, Apollos came in, and Apollos built on the foundation that Paul had laid. Also, we'll see later in this passage, Cephas, which is another name from Peter, you know, uh, he came in and also taught at this church as well. So, principle number one on, on how to build a life that matters is this. Is if we want to build a life that matters, the first thing we have to do is to dig deep. Let's say that together. Dig deep. Dig deep. Now you say, what do you mean by dig deep? Well, if you remember... In Matthew, at the end of, of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 7, also in Luke's version, Jesus ends his message there. By the way, the Sermon on the Mount is probably the most famous speech ever given. Ever. Ever. Whether you believe in the Bible or Christianity or Christ, it doesn't matter. It's the most famous speech ever given. So at the end of this very famous speech, he says, hey, listen, there are two types of builders. People who build their house on sand and people who build their house on the rock. You remember? Now, this next analogy, we're not going to be able to relate, relate to. But again, this is 2,000 years ago. And Jesus says, imagine if hurricane winds and floods come in. Thank you. Someone caught the joke. Imagine if hurricane winds and floods come in 
and he just devastates these houses. They rock, they shake, water enters into it. He goes, you'll notice that the person who built their house on sand, that house is gone, it's obliterated. But the person that built their house on the rock, it took some massive damage, but it's still standing. And Jesus says, why is that house still standing and this house is devastated? It says, because the person that built their house on the rock took the time to dig deep and lay a solid foundation. So, if I want to have a life that matters, if you want to have a life that matters, you have to dig deep. Now, I've made the decision to make Christ the foundation of my life. He's the foundation of my life. Both my social life, my personal life, my intellectual life, and just by chance and by God's grace, my vocational life. Okay? Now, perhaps you're saying, well, that's easy. You already kind of told us you grew up in a pastor's home. Of course, Christ is going to be the foundation of your life. I would say, of course not. In my case, at least, in my case, yes, I was born and raised in the church and all that, but I had to come to a point in time in my life where I personally had to decide, is Jesus Christ really who he says he is? And should I make him the foundation of my life? And it took me a long time to get there. But I finally did. And you say, why? Well, why did you make that decision? Well, a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons was I couldn't get over Christ's claim. I couldn't get over the fact that a Jewish carpenter that only had really three years of a kind of a, a public life claimed to be God in the flesh, died on the cross, and then he rose again on the third day. And there's actual proof and facts to verify the fact that he rose again on the third day. And so I, I couldn't just get my mind around that. And I looked at other world leaders and religious leaders like, you know, Muhammad and Buddha and others and Krishna and, and other, you know, more skeptical philosophies and stuff like that. And, and no one was like Christ. No one's like Christ. No one who ever has ever lived is like Jesus Christ. No one said the same things he said, did the things, did the things that he did, and actually came back to life on the third day. So I had to make a decision. Was I going to circle the airport all of my life and live a life of complete skepticism and doubt and agnosticism? Or was I going to land the plane and decide? So I just came to the conclusion. Either Jesus Christ is who he says he is or he's not. Either he is supernatural or he's a super nut. There's nothing in between. Okay? So I laid my life on the foundation that is Christ. Christ is the face and the reality of God to us. God who made this world, who made the universe, who made the multiverses, who made everything, has chosen to come down to this place and this time and reveal himself to us. John said, in the beginning was the reason. In the beginning was the logos, the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. 
Paul would say to another group of people in Colossians, he said, listen, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him, all things were created. Things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, all things were created by him and for him. And in him, all things hold together. And he's head of the body, the church. He's the firstborn from the dead, that he might have the supremacy in everything. Right? That's Christ. There's the, we have time to go into this, but there's the the Christ of history, the Jesus of Nazareth, and then that also puts us in contact with what I would call the cosmic Christ, the preexistence of Christ. So through many dangerous toils and strifes and wrestling in my own life and questioning, I came to the conclusion, hey, listen, if I want to have a life that counts, if I want to have a foundation, I need to dig deep and make Jesus Christ the foundation of my life. So that's what I've done. Many of you here have done the same thing, and you've gotten there in many different ways, but you've made Christ the foundation of your life. If you haven't done that, you need to at least investigate, at least question. And if you want to find a true and secure foundation, you've got to dig deep. We've got to dig deep. All right, what else do you have to do? That's the first thing. Second thing, to build a life that matters. Look at verses 12 and 15. If anyone builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each person's life. So we're all building a life. We're all, we're all, all are doing work, building things, growing, and the quality of our work will be tested. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So, second principle that we must engage in that we must do to build a life that matters. It's not just dig deep and find that foundation, which is Christ, but also we have to pursue excellence. We have to pursue in every aspect of our life quality work. Now, when I read this story, I'm so deep, I think about the three little pigs. I mean, I just do. You can't Help think about three little pigs when you read this. I do. You know, one pig built his house of straw. The other pig sticks. The other pig bricks. Big bad wolf. Huff, puff, blow. You know, right? We, yes, you're three little pigging with me. Say yes. Yes, three little pigs. Thank you. So, right, the pig's house that lasted was because he used what? Quality material. He took time to build that house of bricks. So when stress came and the wolf came, and as Jesus said, when the hurricane came, his house stood. Booker T. Washington said, excellence is to do a common thing in an uncommon way. I like that. Excellence is to do a common thing in an uncommon way. How do you do your work? 
How do you do your schoolwork? How do you pursue your sports and athletics? How do you pursue your, your career? How do you pursue your family? How do you pursue, are you really building your life with a sense of, of excellence and a sense of pride in the good sense of the word? If we want to build a life that matters, we can't use tilt wall construction and straw and hay and wood. We've got to use gold and silver and seize the moment, even those uncommon moments, and those uncommon things that we do and handle in life and pursue them with great excellence. Because when I have to give an account to God, you know, and he puts that, I don't know, whatever it is going to be that, that you know, that torch to see the materials I used to build my life, I, I want to have something left, right? I want to have some gold and silver or something that, that is still there. Maybe I'll get a reward, you know? Maybe I'll be in a certain neighborhood in heaven that's kind of close to my mom's neighborhood. I know I won't be on the same street, but kind of close, right? How do we do that? We pursue excellence. Why? Because our whole life is a gift. Our entire life is, is a gift. It's a gift from God. It's a gift. Everything I do, I should pursue with great passion and excellence because I'm doing it as unto Christ. As if Christ were my head coach as if Christ were my teacher, as if Christ were my boss. I don't want to give God shoddy work. I want to give him, given my gifts and talents and where I am the best I can. So if you want to build a life that matters, you have to dig deep. You have to have the right foundation then you have to pursue excellence. Now check out verse 16. It's a little parenthesis. He said, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in, the, in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Have a nice day. So many times when we read that passage, we think I am the temple of God or my, my, my body is a temple. It is. Matter of fact, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians. That's coming up to, in, a, in a theater near you, okay? But here's what he's talking about in this passage is community. Because what was happening is you had people in the community that were causing divisions, that were gossiping, that were hating, that were full of pride. And he's saying, do you realize that your gossip and hating and slandering is tearing down the temple of God, God's community, and God's going to destroy you if you do that? Yeah. It's a warning. All right. Parenthesis. Number three. The third thing, third principle we have to do to have a life that matters. Check it out. Verse 18. I love these three, these four words here. Do not deceive yourself. That's so difficult. Do you know that? Do not deceive yourself. Never underestimate the power of denial. 
Do not deceive yourself. Do not deceive yourself. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools as that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it written, he catches the wise and their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. Now, he's not saying let's throw out all knowledge and all learning and all wisdom unless it's Christian, right? Unless it's Christian, I'm not going to accept it. I'm not going to receive it. It doesn't matter. He's not saying that. No, he's saying, well, let's go read the next passage. It'll kind of explain it more. Here we go. Verse 21, so then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas, there they are, three amigos, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ. And Christ is of God. Paul was saying, don't relegate yourself to the three amigos, to Paul, Apollos, and Cephas. They're all three are yours. All three. Learn from Paul, learn from Apollos, learn from Cephas, also known as Peter. Learn from all of them. Well, I like Dr. Young the best. Oh, I like that young guy, Kurt Taylor. I like Gary Thomas. All of them are yours. Yeah. They're all yours. God's going to speak his truth through them, through other people. Don't limit yourself to one person. Don't do it. It's a big menu. Okay? It's a big menu. That's what they were doing. They were saying, oh, man, I'm really cool. I'm really wise. I follow Paul only. Oh, no. Paul's not that good of a speaker. He's, he's, he's bad. And, you know, he's, he's not very handsome either. I like Apollos. Apollos is brilliant and smart and intellectual. I like him. And others said, no, I like Peter. He's a man's man. He goes fishing and hunting, right? Where's camo to work out in? I'm a Pete. Now, Paul's saying, all are yours. I'm yours, the smart guy's yours, the hunting guy's yours. Oh, it's yours to help build your house, to build your life that matters. <laughs> What's he say here? Third step, third principle is open up. Open up. If Christ is the foundation of your life, if Christ is the foundation of your theology, if Christ is the foundation of your intellectual life, the world is yours. Not just the three amigos, but the world is yours. 
Nature is yours. The mountains are yours. The beaches are yours. The fields are yours. The cosmos is yours. The sciences are yours. Biology is yours. Chemistry is yours. Quantum physics is yours. Mathematics is yours. The arts are yours. Music is yours. All truth is God's truth wherever it may be found. It's all yours. Corinthians, Houstonians, you're in, the, you're in the little warm baby pool. The ocean's yours. There's an ocean waiting for you. An ocean of resources to help you build your life that matters, open up, open your eyes. Open your eyes. And look at it. I've always told, I've always said this, please forget everything I've ever said in every other sermon ever, just forget it. But remember this one thing, it's really simple. This book right here, this Bible, is a hymn book. Never forget that. Forget everything else. Do not forget that. This book is a hymn book. It's a hymn book. It's all about him. It's all about Christ. The whole book, Old Testament, Genesis, all the way to genuine leather and revelation is all about him. It's all about Christ. Christ is our foundation. Christ is our motivation. It's why we pursue excellence, because we're working unto him. And Christ is our emancipation that frees us to receive the unlimited resources he has for us to help build our life. But my life's really messed up. My life is broken down. My house has been ravaged by many, many storms and floods and freezes. And my house, my life is messed up. It's too late for me to build a life that matters. No, it's not. When you read Hebrews 11, the hall of fame of faith, every person in the hall of fame of God's faith had to have their life and their house rebuilt and restored. So yes, I'm happy that he is our foundation, our motivation, and our emancipation, but I'm happy, so very, very happy that Christ is our restoration. Restoration. He's our restoration. God is always in the restoration business. And I'm thankful for that. Aren't you? I mean, I think all of us here, after this crazy year and a half, would say, man, I need some restoration in my life, in my house, in my family, maybe in your business. God, restore. Help me, guide me, lead me. God's in the restoration business. But sometimes it takes time. 
It takes time. As we respond to him and yield to him moment by moment and day by day. And you know what God's also in the rebuilding business? Rebuilding. Let's say, hey, my house doesn't need restoration. It's been demolished. It's been burned to the ground like your house in South Carolina was, right? I need to, you know, I need new foundation. I need to, I need to rebuild an entirely new house. Awesome. God can do that too. And by the way, that's what we decided to do with our house. We decided to dig up those foundations that were burned and cracked and day by day, week by week, month by month. It took about another year, I think. We rebuilt that house. And because the fire was so thorough, it burned down all the trees. So we had a big old grass yard and we played baseball in that yard, and football in that yard, and basketball, and all the kids in the neighborhood came to our house. My mom cooked pork chops and black-eyed peas and roast and biscuits with gravy many, many times in that house. We always had people living in that house with us, other pastors and people in our church who later come out on our staff and some 55 years later are still on our staff today that lived with us in that house. We had a seven-year run in that house. God did a lot of great things in our life in that house because we set those strong foundations that made a house a home. 